Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're talking about prayer and not just prayer, but prevailing prayer. I was raised in church where, you, you know, we had prayers. We had a prayer book, and in our services, we read those prayers. And while we were reading those prayers, our mind was wandering to, you know, who was going to play in, play the football that afternoon or, you know, what was cooking at home or, you know, we just read the prayers and that's what the book was in. It said, read, and we read them and it was nice. We read prayers. and But we never had any concept that we were talking to anybody on the other end. Ever, ever have a cell phone call and you're talking to somebody and suddenly you realize there's nobody there anymore? Ever, my no one's ever had that. The, the call was dropped on the other side, and you're just talking away, and you, all of a sudden, there's nobody. Hello? There's nobody there, and we're just talking away and don't even realize there's nobody there because we're not expecting, we don't hear anything back. And so when finally you reconnect, you say, well, where, where did I leave off? And you've got to go back and fill in. And I suspect that so much, so many of our prayers are like that. We're talking to God or reading prayers, or and we have no no confidence or that there's anybody on the other end of the line. And you can tell by your attitude, because when your mind's wandering, that means you're, it's like talking to somebody, and ever talk to somebody, and you know they're not paying attention to you? Is that right, wives, you know? And, and you know, they're just looking around, and you're, they got the paper up, say, yes, dear, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. And you just know they're not listening, and it, 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 it affects the, your confidence in the conversation. And, and that's one thing with people we can see, but... God, we've been learning through His Word, God has calls us to prayer. Not to fulfill some obligation, but because He wants to talk to us. And He tells us to come and ask Him for things. And what we're looking at is prayer is God's idea. It's not man's idea. It's not man came up and we're going to bother God, get His attention. Hello, I'm down here. I'm in this situation. Would you pay attention to me? God's telling us, He's inviting us, calling us, challenging us to come and ask Him to initiate communication with Him because there are things God wants to do in our lives that He needs us to ask. And weeks back, we, we talked about why God needs us to ask even to do things He already wants to do in our lives. And so we're looking at prayer, but not just prayer, but what the Bible calls prevailing prayer, which means prayer that gets results. It's God's intention, it's God's plan that our prayers ought to get results, they ought to get answered. And so that's what we've been looking at, and we've looking at some principles that that the Bible tells us about. People have their own idea of prayer, but we're looking at what God tells us about prayer. Because since He's the one that's telling us to come and pray, and He's the one that wants to answer us, we need to listen to what He says about it and follow His instructions. So one of the first things we looked at, and these are all kind of related to each other, is that we must believe He's listening and believe that He's going to answer the prayer. And so we looked at that one. The second principle we looked at is we must be specific when we're praying. And there are times that's hard, and we talked about what to do in that situation. But be specific with God when you come to Him. When you go to the, when you go to the grocery store, when you go to, the, to the, whatever store you go to buy something, you don't just go to buy a shirt, you go and pick out a particular shirt. Now, you may not know what shirt you want when you go there. You may not know which loaf of bread you want. But somewhere along the line, you've got to choose a particular, bre- particular loaf of bread, a particular brand, and that particular loaf. You have to get specific in order to receive something. And so often with God... God, we just throw up general prayers hoping something's going to stick. And there's no faith in that. 
And we do that because we're really not confident that God is listening, and if God's listening, that He's going to grant our prayers. So as I said before, we give God this big target. So if He hit it, said it anyway, then, then that means God answered it. And that's, there's not faith in that. So we've looked at that. And then what we're looking at now is really the third principle. And this we see, a lot of these we see in, the God, in Matthew, which is Jesus talking to his disciples about prayer. Now, if you went over and looked at Luke's account of this, what you would see is that Luke, Luke's account, the disciples go to Jesus and they say, Master, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And that really needs to be our attitude. Lord, we just need to be honest with you. We really don't know how to pray as we ought to. Or we can pray somewhat, but we're not getting the results that we need to get. And if you are getting in your life, then there are people around you, there's family around you, there are neighbors around you, there are people at work. They need to have you pray for them and to receive results. But I venture to say that everyone in this room right now, there's some situation in your life that you need God's involvement in and you need God to answer you. And in most cases, we don't really have the confidence to go to God fully expecting, and you may, but we need to grow in that. So our attitude in this series we're learning is is we're really going to God and asking asking Him to teach us how to pray. So that means you've got to start out by admitting you don't know how. And I'm the pastor of the church, and I'm coming to him saying, God, I'm not seeing the answers that I need to see. And as I shared with you before, this really came out of a realization that a lot of my prayers had come to the point where I was saying prayers because that made me feel better because I should be doing this, but I really didn't expect to see any results. And we can slip into that, and, and, and that's not where God wants us to be. So... God is calling us back to prayer, but a prayer that gets results. And, and there's nothing that gives you confidence to go back and pray again than seeing an answer to a prayer. Boy, you pray and you see God move supernaturally and answer your prayer. Boy, it gets you fired up to go pray again. Imagine if every prayer was answered. But you'd have confidence to go. You'd be looking for the devil. I mean, you'd be looking for people to pray for, wouldn't you? Because you said, boy, just, you know, just come to me and I know if I pray, it's going to happen. Well, the part of the problem is... Our focus is so often on ourselves and our confidence is in whether we feel confident or whether we're seeing results. And we're looking at what Jesus says about prayer. And this is his response to the disciples' request to teach us to pray. And we look last time over in these verses, starting in verse 5, which is when Jesus teaches them to pray. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues or the corner of the street that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. But when you pray, go into your room, and when you shut your door, pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will pay you openly. And when you pray, don't use vain repetition as the heathen do, or unbelievers do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. So we've looked at that, and we saw that Jesus is saying, the people that have no relationship with God, no vital living relationship with God, the only confidence they can have in that their prayers are going to be answered is the way they pray. So he says the the heathens, that just means unbelievers, somebody that has no covenant relationship with God, their only confidence they have that their prayers are going to be answered is in themselves and the way they pray. So they'll, they'll, you know, I've been in prayer meetings and boy, that prayer was sounded great, didn't it? And I think I've shared with you is years ago, I had an elder who's not here anymore. I had him lead the Tuesday night prayer meeting. And after it was over, he came and he says, how did I do? I said, well, we'll only know when we see the results of your prayers. Because it's not a performance. It's not how did you sound. 
It's not, was I impressed? It's not that, was the people impressed? It's not that, because prayer is asking God for something. And the only kind of prayer that's prevailing is getting results, not one that sounds good. But you see, that tells us our focus is so often on ourselves and how am I praying? Am I praying just right? Am I saying the right words? It's all focused on me and putting confidence in me. And that's not what Jesus is saying here. He says, don't be like them. And this is the key in here, verse 8. Don't be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven. And he goes on down through what we have now call the, the, the Lord's Prayer. And then he goes down into verse 14. He, says, 14. he says, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. And we saw that in these 11 verses, I think it is, 10 verses, the word Father appears over six times. And Jesus is saying something to us. Because understand that to the Jews at that time, the concept of calling God Father was totally foreign to them. In fact, when they would speak God's name, and he had a number of names, but the most common name for God was Yahweh, or Jehovah in English. And they would not pronounce it. It was kind of like, you know, something where they bleep it out. They, were, they felt that they were not holy enough to literally even speak his name. So they wouldn't say it. And so that's how, that's how the name of God was reverenced to them. And it should be reverenced to us. But the result is they had no concept of a relationship with God as a father and child. He was creator. He was Lord. He was Adonai. He's the God that came down on the mountain at Mount Sinai and it shook and there was thunder and lightning. He was the God that they were to be afraid of. But the concept of calling him father and approaching him So what Jesus is talking here about when he's teaching them about prayer is the very foundation basis on which we are to approach prayer and to approach God is out of a relationship with him as father and child. And that changes everything. Because so often we go to God with some concept that he's the creator up there or he's some all-powerful being or he's something up there and but we don't know who he is or what quite we don't have confidence and so many of the other principles we've looked at are all based on whether we have faith or confidence that God's going to answer our prayer and what Jesus is saying here is that the basis of our faith is in who we're talking to and isn't that true in life isn't that true in life? When someone, when you go to ask somebody something and you say, you know, could you help me with this? And they just kind of, you know, and you, you, you know from past experience with them that sometimes they keep their word and sometimes they don't. And they say, yep, Jerry, I'll be there tomorrow to help you. And you know, and you say, yeah, well, we'll wait and see. Because I don't know. And see, many of us were raised in families where our parents didn't always keep their word to us. And, and or we didn't have parents at all that were present. But they didn't keep their word, so they would say things to manipulate us. They would say things to get us to do what, you know, and one of them is, if you do that again, I'm going to spank you. And you do it again, and they don't spank you. So, and they say, well, again, I mean, if you do, this time I really mean it. And, and what, they're t- what they're telling you is, I lied to you. And I trust we haven't done that with our children. But the point is, you first learn about whether you can trust someone's word from your parents. And in many of our cases, that was not a good experience. 
And so now we come into the family of God and we're told we have a God who wants to be in relationship with us and he wants us to come and ask us things. And, and the way you're going to approach him at first is based on what your own experience with authorities were in your life, whether it's parents or teachers or somebody in your life that was significant to you that you needed to depend upon and call upon and how well you could trust them determines how well you could to, could receive from them. And that's a you bring that image over to your relationship with God. And if that relationship, if that image is not very good, as mine wasn't because of the way my parents were like, you have to go through the process that the Bible talks about renewing your mind. Learning to understand that God is not like my father was. God is not like your father was, like your parents was. And I've had to work hard at that, and I still have to work hard at that. Because I can feel sometimes... When I'm coming to God for something, I can still feel vestiges of old experiences from my childhood when my father would say, yeah, I'm going to do that, and, and, he, and he didn't. And he may have meant well, but that's not what I, that still left that lack of trust. Or, 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 and I'll get into this in a minute, or I would ask my father for something and he'd do something else instead. And so what Jesus is starting out really here with the foundation of prayer is it's based on faith, but faith is not a principle. Faith is not some law that you work. Faith is a, comes out of a relationship with the one you're, to whom you're, of whom you're asking. And so, you know, I was trained and raised to, to that the way faith comes is by hearing and hearing by Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I was trained to take scriptures, you meditate on scripture, and that's fine and that's good. But the ultimate aim of the meditating on scriptures is to lead me to a greater understanding of who this God is that's now my father and whether I can trust him and take him at his word or not. Because we're seeing God says to come and ask me. Ask what you want. And, and the response that we have to that is a direct evidence of how much confidence we have in him. But see, what the enemy tries to do is instead of getting us to look at who he is and how faithful he is, to look at ourselves and how faithless we are and how we don't have enough faith and we have not done things right and we're not... Th- and you know what? You never will be enough. And you never will have enough faith. Because faith doesn't come from who you are. Faith comes from seeing who he is. And what he is like. And this is what Jesus is saying to us. So we began to look at this last time. We began to look at that, that who it is we're praying to. Who is this God who is a father now? And we saw that by, because he's a father, that tells us certain things about him. That tells us, we saw last week, and this is where we kind of left off. Verse 8. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask. So what we're doing now is we're looking at things that... Because this is God telling us about Himself. This is God revealing to us what He's like. Now, it's one thing. If you meet somebody for the first time and you're just getting to know them and you're getting friendly with them, I'm sure you're like I am. You're trying to size up whether you can trust them or not. So you first meet them, and you know, and I listened to what people say, then I watch what they do. And if they consistently do what they say, then I begin to trust them. If they tell me things and then they turn around and do something else, then I have more difficulty trusting them. Or if they tell me one thing today and something else tomorrow about the same thing, then because my mind functions logically, that tells me either they don't know what they're talking about or they're not concerned with telling me the truth. So the problem is I don't trust them. 
because of what their words are and then their corresponding actions. That's what people we can see. That's how we develop that. But how do you develop that with someone you can't see? How do you develop that with a God you can't look in his eyes and tell whether he's really paying attention to you? You can't tell whether you have his undivided attention. How can you develop confidence in a being that you can't see? And then even when you pray and something happens, well, was that God or was that just would it would it have happened anyway? So how do we develop that confidence? Well, my tendency is to look at things from God's side. God's a master communicator. God knows us. He knows what we're like. He knows what it's going to take to get across to him, to us, what he's like. And he knows what he wants us to know about him. So God's given us a word. And one of the purposes of this word is it is God attempting to reveal to us what he wants us to know about him. Understand, there's no way if you were the brightest mind, that if, you were, if all intellect that had ever lived were collected together in one enormous head... <laughs> you still couldn't begin to grasp the totality of who God is. So there's no way we're going to grasp who God is, but God has knows things about himself he wants us to know about him so that we can trust him and walk in this relationship with him and love him, which is what he wants more than anything else, and to receive his love for us. So this is Jesus, who's his representative on the earth at that time, communicating to us what he knows about his Father and about prayer. So therefore, do not be like them. Why? Because what the Gentiles, what the unbelievers, what people without a covenant relationship with God, all they can trust in is themselves and how they pray and the technique of prayer and how much they pray and, and what, you know, the position of their body when they pray and the sound of their words when they pray. All they can trust is in themselves and, and how, how they're doing it, the technique. But Jesus says, don't be like them. Why? For your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask. And what we looked at last week was what he's, the first thing he's telling us about God as our Father is that God as our Father cares about us to the point that he's watching over us to see what it is we need. So we don't have to go to God and get his attention and say, do you have any idea what I'm going through? Do you know what this situation is like? He knows more about it than you do, and he's watching over that situation, but he's just waiting for you to come to him about it. So if he knows what I have need of, why doesn't he do something? Because for whatever reason, and we've studied some of it, God needs us to come and ask him to intervene in that situation. One of the reasons is so we'll know when he does, we'll know it's God that did it, and that's a way of developing relationship. The relationship that my wife and I have developed over 47 years has come through interacting with each other, talking with each other, not just a one-sided conversation, and then doing things together, participating in things together. That develops relationship. Well, that seems true this way also. As you involve God in the things of your life and find out he already is involved, wants to be involved, cares about you, and all he's waiting for you to do is ask him to be released into those situations, it begins to allow him to reveal more of who he is and how much he loves you and cares for you. So Jesus is saying, don't you know your father, he's not just God if you're, if you're in Christ. He's not just God the creator. If, if you're in Christ, he's God your father. He's God your Father. He's God your Father. Now, I've talked about this before. God is not the Father of all mankind. He's the Creator of all. But Father involves being... We have four children. 
And it's not hard to tell how they became our four children. They were conceived out of us, carried by her in her womb, and then birthed after nine months. Two of them at a time. And one of them. They were twins. One of them was twins. One of them, birth was twins. But the point is, they were born out of us. Their life came from us. Obviously, God's life, but I mean, it was born out of us. And so, the relationship we have with our four children is through this process of birth, being given life. Jesus said in John chapter 3 that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, you must be born again. And that's a term that's kind of bantered around. It's become a term that the media uses, and they don't understand what it means. It also means born from above. That's what the Greek means, both again a second time and born from above. And what Jesus is talking about there is in order to be in God's family, you have to come into God's family the same way you came into your family. You were born into it. And he's not talking about a physical birth because the Pharisee that he was having this conversation with was a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a religious leader. And he says, how can that be? How can I go back into my mother's womb and be born a second time? And Jesus says, that which is, he says, for the wind blows where it will, but you, I forgot, I gotta go back and look at it. Basically say, what he's saying is, what your, what was born, what your flesh was born out of your parents but your spirit man must be born a second time. And so my, bo- our, our, my body came from my parents. But my spirit man, when I come to Christ, is born a second time, and this time it's born from above. It says in John chapter 1 that he came unto his own, and his own didn't know him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become sons of God. He gave the ability to become a child of God, born not of the will of man and not of the flesh, but born of, it literally means in the Greek, out of God. So when we come to Christ, when we receive Christ personally as our Savior, then something spiritual happens. God comes in and takes your old nature out and he breathes in you his own nature. That's how you become his child. That's why now you can begin to overcome things in your flesh you didn't have the power to overcome before because now God's nature is in you to begin to help you to do that. And that's how you become a child of God. And if you're his child, then he's your father. So this implies a relationship of a father and a child that's come out of a birth, and that birth came because he chose you, he wanted you. Now, your parents may or may not have wanted you, but your heavenly Father wanted you because in Ephesians it says he chose you before the foundation of the world. He chose you to be his child before the foundation of the world. He looked throughout all eternity. He looked throughout every mistake you were going to make, every sin you were ever going to commit, every failure, every success, the messes you would make, the things you'd do right. He looked through all of that throughout all of eternity. He says, I want you. I want you. I want you to be my child. And so we're, ad- we're adopted into his family. Now, I went through all of that because I wanted to call you back to this relationship of father and child because that's what Jesus is calling upon here. He said, well, realize when you go to pray, it's your father you're talking about. 
And he says, don't you understand that because he's your father and he loves you, he's already watching over you. He's attentive to care for you. We looked at Psalm 139 last time. It says, he watched you formed in your mother's womb. He watched those cells come together. And he was watching with great anticipation for the moment that you were born into this world. Then he was watching with even greater anticipation for the time you would turn to him and receive Christ. And he could put his life and his spirit into you, waiting for that moment throughout all of eternity. And we thought we made some great discovery. None of us discovered him. He found you. He chose you before the foundation of the world. This is the one Jesus is saying we're coming to, to pray to. This is the one that we're coming and bringing our request to. And he all, he's been watching over your needs, just waiting for you to come. So we're, he's saying this so that the confidence that we have when we come is not in how we come, but it's in who we're coming to. So the second thing we're going to look at now tonight, let's go over to chapter 7. Verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. And so he, he, he's shocking them with this. He said, if you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, it'll be opened unto you. And they were obviously having trouble with this, so now he's going to bring it down to explain it to them to have confidence about who this God is that they're talking to, and he's going to come back again to this image of God as a father and what they were to have known about a father, hopefully by their own experience with fathers. Verse 9. Or what man is there among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil... Now, he's not saying that they were terrible people. He's saying, compared to God, you're evil. You're not perfect parents. But if you, as messed up as you are, as your parents were, or as you are as a parent... If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? He's teaching us a second thing about His heavenly Father, whom He did know. And what He's saying is, you can trust Him because He's a straight shooter. If you ask him for one thing, he's not going to turn around and put some spin on it and give you something else and say, well, that's really what you meant. Because he's talking about trusting him to the point that we can come and ask with confidence that what we're asking him, he's going to do for us. And if you don't know for sure that he's going to give you what you ask, if you think he's going to play games with you, there's a commercial, and I don't remember who it's for, I think it's an insurance company, where there's a gentleman in a suit that's sitting down at a kindergarten's table with a bunch of kids around this table. And I can't remember quite what it was, but he says, you know, uh, he's basically saying, if I give you one of one things, would, would, would half of that be better? And they said, no, 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 more's better. And he's ba- what the message is basically of the, com- of the commercial is, even a kid can tell you what's better from what's worse. 
And, 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 and this is what Jesus is saying. Children have a basic understanding. They can tell that it's better if you ask your father for a loaf of bread that he gives you the loaf of bread than if he asks you for a loaf of bread and he gives you some spiritual explanation of why a stone's better. Well, this is really what's better for you. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Say, so, well, what if you ask for something that's harmful? We'll talk about that later on. But most of you wouldn't intentionally ask for something that was hurtful. Most of our issues is we're afraid to ask for what we really want. We're afraid to express to him what's really in our heart. It's, it's wonderful. Read the Psalms and what David, King David was like. David did say, well, I don't know if this is good for me, and I don't know if I ought to ask for this, and I don't know that. He just poured his heart out before God. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I mean, if he was upset about something, he just told God he was upset about it. But he had a relationship with God. He had a relationship with God that was not religious, that was not, you know, stiltified, that was not, oh, thou Father in heaven. He had, God was a shepherd to him. And whether he knew of God really as a father or not, he saw God in a relationship to him as a shepherd and a sheep because he experienced that as a shepherd out in the fields where he didn't have religious people to instruct him. He had no choice but to open his heart to God and to find out who God really was in a personal relationship with him. And the wonderful thing is God met him that way. He'll meet you at whatever level you'll come to him. He'll meet you there. So don't compare yourself to somebody else. He'll meet you where you are because he wants you and he'll come to where you are. He can't ever get us to come to where he is on our own. You can't get that high. But he'll come to you where you are and then bring you up to himself. See, religion, the, the basis of all religion is to try to be better, do better, do the right things so that we can lift ourselves up to God. And Christianity tells us you can't lift yourself up high enough. Because here's what happens. If you lift yourself up high enough, then guess what? You're equal with God. You can take some of the credit. But I got news for you. To try to lift yourself up as high as God, it's like trying to do a, a jump like this up and jump up onto the moon. And there may be people out there that can high jump seven feet. I can high jump about seven inches. But there may be people, there are people out there that can high jump seven. So compared to what I can jump, they're infinitely higher. But seven feet compared to 240,000 miles is just as if I, they're just as if they can jump as high as I can. So the very best person that's ever lived on the face of this earth is still infinitely short of being equal with God. But the message of the Bible is that God came down to us, became a man, identified with us, so he could lift us up to be with him. But we've got to let him lift us up instead of trying to jump up on our own. And we're going through all of this because it comes back to the heart of prevailing prayer is understanding you're coming out of relationship of father and child a father who loves you, a father who's attentive to your needs, a father who desires to take care of you and provide for you, a God who's promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. If you look in Hebrews 13, it says in the Greek three times, I will never, no, never, no, never. Now in English, if you have a double negative, it turns it into a positive. But in Greek, it just overemphasizes it. 
So literally, you ought to look at that in, in the Amplified. Hebrews, I think it's 13.5. I will never, no, never, no, never, leave you ca- utterly cast down or forsake you. That's God's promise to you because he loves you. So Jesus is talking to them about prayer. He says, don't you know, if you being good parents and your child comes and asks you for something that you need, like a loaf of bread or a fish, you're not going to play games with them and give them something else. They trust that if you ask them your parent, you, you as their father or mother, for what they need, that you're going to give them what they need and not play games with them so that they can trust you when they have confidence that they're asking you. And he's saying, if you, if you, with all the other issues in your life and the other motives that you struggle with, if you as parents still desire to do good things for your children when they ask, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask. I encourage you to meditate sometimes on just that words, how much more? How much more? How, not less, how much more? So the point here is Jesus is telling us that, our, that God doesn't play games with us, that God deals with us directly. If you look over in 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 2, Paul, Paul says because the church at Corinth had accused him of saying one thing when he was with them and another thing when he was away from them. And he said, in fact, let's turn over there. We need to know this about God and his word. Second Corinthians one. Verse 17. Therefore, when I was planning this, he was talking about coming to them. Did I do it lightly? Or the things I planned, do I do according to the flesh? That no, that with me, there should be yes, yes, and no, no. But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, and Silvanus, that's Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him is yes. In other words, God's not yes one day and no the next. (laughs) Some of us have had parents where you had to kind of sneak up on them on the right day, kind of catch them in the right mood. I was the oldest of five boys, so I was responsible for figuring out what mood she was in and, and when the right time to ask her because I had more experience. And there was a right time... There was a right time and a right way to approach my mother about things. Because if you caught her at the wrong time, the answer was going to be no. In fact, usually the answer was no. But I had enough experience with her to not just accept the no, I would come back and ask her again, and eventually the no would turn into yes. And so I just figured out how to work the system, and don't look at me like that. (laughs) Because you've all done the same thing, and your children have probably had to do the same thing with you. Why? Because our yes is not always yes, and our no is not always no. And what the Apostle Paul is hearing says, yeah, but with God it's not that way. With God, he says, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you, was not yes and no, but in him is yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him are, is amen, or so be it, or confirming it, to the glory of God through us. 
So God's not yes one day, and God doesn't have moods. Where if he feels like it today, you got him a good day and a good mood, yeah, all right. Or you annoy him enough, yeah, okay, go ahead. God's yes is yes, and his no is no. This is why Jesus says, back, go back into Matthew 6, this is, or 7. This is why Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 that, you know, don't make oaths. Just make your word good. Don't say, you know, yeah, I swear by this, and I swear by my father, mother's grave, because that implies the rest of the time you don't mean what you say. If you come to me, and, and people on staff know this, if you come to me and says, well, to tell you the truth, my answer is going to be, does that mean I don't know that you always tell me the truth? Because if this time you're telling me you're telling me the truth, that raises a question about whether, when you don't say that, whether you're telling me the truth. And you need to listen to our own words. Because what Jesus says is, if I've got to swear by something else, then that means I'm not going to tell the truth all the time. Because God always tells the truth. In fact, I've taught you, He is truth. The Bible t- says, He is truth. So He can't lie. But Jesus is trying to get across to us so we can have confidence in Him. So we see here, back in Matthew 7, that, if, that he's a, he tells us things just the way they are. So we can have confidence in him that he deals with us directly. Now, let's look at a third thing tonight. Go up, where's Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone that asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be open. We're talking about the character of God, because Jesus is revealing to us what his character and what his nature is like, so that we know that we can trust him. And I've shared this with you before, but one night last year when I was up in the middle of the night praying and really going over something and just really crying out to God for a situation that I wanted him to give me wisdom on and an answer for. And all of a sudden it dawned on me. I mean, (laughs) have you ever had just some simple truth suddenly break through to you and you go, wow, how come I didn't see that before? That's what something profound is. Something profound is so simple and so basic that I couldn't see it before. It's just so obvious, but that's when the Spirit of God opens your eyes to see it. And it's like, I was blind before. How come I couldn't see this before? And I was praying this before. God, you said, ask, it'll be given to you. And suddenly I sensed this in me. God's saying to you, why would I tell you to ask if I didn't expect to answer? Why would I tell you to ask if I was not going to answer? Because if God's telling us to come and ask him, and he doesn't intend to answer, then he's playing games with us. He's not being straightforward. He's not being who he says he is. He's telling us, you don't know whether I'm going to answer or not, but come on, I'm going to tease you. Ask me and find out if I'm going to answer you or not. Find out. But he says, ask. And if he's telling us to come and ask, it's because he wants to answer. But he's waiting for us to ask him. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. This is some of the most amazing verses in the Bible. Now let me ask you a question. Are they true or aren't they true? Are they true? No, don't answer me. You need to answer yourself. Do I really believe those are true 
or not. Because here's what so often we do. We read those and our mind immediately jumps to something we asked him for we didn't get. Or somebody else I know asked him for and didn't get. Now we got a choice. And this happens, can happen so fast in your mind, you don't realize it's happening. We read that, and of course many of us already know the verse, so we've already got the answer prepared in our head. And, and it confronts us, because this is God's word, this is the truth, but our experience doesn't line up with this, or other people's experience doesn't line up with it. How do we reconcile this in our mind? And this is important to talk about, because if we don't ever address this, what happens is we subtly water this down in our mind, and as you water this down in our mind, we water down what we're expecting to happen. And the moment you start watering down God's word in your mind, you limit his ability to respond to you. You limit his power in your life because the power of, of God in your life comes through his believed promises. So we have the situation where God's word says this and my experiences don't line up with this. And here's what we do. We consider God's word at the same level as our experiences. In fact, sometimes it's not even at the same level. And so we read God's Word, and, 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 we, and my experience is, yeah, but I've asked for things I didn't get an answer to. I've, I've sought things I didn't find. What about the job I've been believing God for? What about the healing I've asked Him for? What about the, 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 the house I've been believing? What about all these things? God said, ask, and it will be given unto me. Well, here's a conflict. You've got God's Word and you've got my, your experience or my experience. And so here's what we do, and I'll talk a little bit about this on Sunday. We begin to try to resolve this by reasoning it out. Now again, you may not sit down and think about this and say, go from one step to another step to another step, but your mind automatically has to adjust things so that it fits into your understanding. Because our mind is built in such a way that it has a drive to understand things. And God made us that way. We're creative, we're, we're curious, we're, and sometimes it gets us into trouble, but we're, our minds are always trying to figure things out in different kinds of level. And so our mind takes these things and tries to resolve it, and if it doesn't resolve, then we start adjusting things because it has to, it's like a scale that has to balance. So on the one side, you've got God's Word that says, ask and you'll receive, boom. Over here, you've got our experiences, and they don't quite equal out. So how do I resolve that? Because my mind won't have peace unless somehow I get it to equal out. So the only way to get it to equal out is to take some of the weight of the authority off of God's Word side so that it begins to balance out. Or add experiences to the other side. Everybody following me? So that it begins to balance. But your mind is built in such a way that it won't rest until it somehow resolves this at least to some kind of satisfaction. And the problem is we're trying to resolve things that often are beyond our ability to understand. This is why you've got to go back to what God's Word says and not to your own understanding. Proverbs 3, 4, and 5. We continue to go back to this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. That means know Him. And He will direct your paths. When I have to understand everything, and I'm kind of getting into what I'm going to talk about Sunday, then I, in essence, have to be God. 
because it has to meet my understanding before I'll accept it. Whereas all God ever expects us to do is trust Him. Just trust Him. And decided that He's worthy to be trusted. What I've learned is, when I decide to trust Him, now I can begin to get understanding. But with God, the issue is always, do you trust me or don't you trust me? If you have to understand in order to trust me, very often God won't give you the understanding. But if you've come to the place of trusting Him, and He won't always give it to you, but, but often I've found when I've, when I've trusted Him, then down the road somewhere, there will be understanding as that I need it. But the issue with God is always, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust? Because see, that's the relationship. That's the relationship. And this is what all of this is about with God. It's about a relationship with Him. And a relationship is ultimately based on trust. Ultimately based on trust. So what Jesus is teaching His disciples here is, you can trust Him. You can trust Him. So ask, and you'll receive. Again, now what happens then is, all right, He says that, but what about my own experiences? Well, there's two possibilities here. There's either God doesn't keep His word, and I refuse to accept that. Because if God doesn't keep this word, then how do I know which word He does keep? Because if God doesn't keep His word in any one place, I might as well take this and throw it out. Because then I have to decide what word I can trust and what word I can't trust. Now, sometimes there's a lack of understanding because there's not just the Scripture. There's other verses we've got to take the whole counsel of God. You can't just take verses out of context and make them do what you want them to do. This book is God communicating with us. This book is God giving us understanding. And each of these scriptures are part of a mosaic of a picture that God wants to give us. So when we take scriptures by themselves and try to make a whole thing out of it, it's like taking one piece of tile out of a mosaic and saying, oh, I've got a piece of puzzle. You know, these thousand-piece puzzles, you know. And you, they, somebody spills it out and you find a piece of, oh, I know what it is, unless you peeked and looked at the box. You can't tell from this little piece of blue sky what that whole picture is. But it's part of a puzzle that has to be put together. And the Spirit of God is the one that has to help us to do that. Okay. So, we're learning what Jesus says about trusting Him. So, confidence has to be based on the known character of the Father. And as long as we ask within His general will, and we'll talk about that down the road, let's go now to, uh, let's go to 1 John chapter 5 the character of God. Verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him. This is what we're talking about. This is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That's a powerful statement. That means he's listening. That means he's paying attention. And when he says if we ask anything in accordance with his will, well, how do I know what I'm asking is in accordance with his will? Well, first of all, he gave you his will right here. And it's not that he's saying each specific thing that you need, you've got to go check out. His will is a whole range of things. And as long as it's within the boundaries of that will, 
his desires for you to have it. And so he says here, if you ask anything that's in accordance with his will, he hears you. He hears you. So I practice this. I practice getting up in the morning and says, God, you're always listening to me. God's a listening God. God, you always hear me when I pray. God, you always hear me. Even, even not, you know, just not, not on my knees, but if I'm driving in the car. See, I'm talking to him all the time. God, what a beautiful day. Lord, thank you for this beautiful day. There were just some things that happened today for both of us. It just, you know, that were just God's grace. Just somebody called me totally out of the blue. Just in the moment I needed to have that phone call from someone who was just the right person. And I was not just grateful to them, but God, thank you. I needed to hear from that person today. Thank you so much. And see, I just talked to him all throughout my day, but I talked to my wife, not all the time through that day, but we'll contact each other. And, you know, sometimes if I haven't talked to her in a while, I'll give her a call, she'll give me a call. And she's learning to text a little bit. But um, so, but it's learning to commu- And that's, you know, there are a lot of things wrong with the texting and things like that, but it's also a way of keeping in communication. And I had to learn to text because it was the only way our children could communicate. They didn't email anymore. I only got around to learning how to email, and they didn't email anymore, and now they text. So I've learned how to learn, learn how to text. I don't tweet or whatever the rest of that stuff is, but texting I'll do. And, and so it's just even a short message, you know. Hi, Matt, how are you today? Love you. But those are just little ways of keeping contact with God. Have you ever thought about texting God? Just, you don't even need to use your phone. You can do it while driving. Keep your eyes on the, on the road and your hands on the wheel and just say, God, I love you today. I just thank you so much. Or you look, you know, I'm worried about this situation. I need help. I need wisdom. Just talk to him out of your heart. And that's what Jesus is trying to encourage you. Don't you know if you ask, you know, if you ask anything in accordance with his will, he hears you. But look at the next verse. That gets even better. And we know that if he hears us, we already have the request that we've made known of him. That if we know, just think about that, that if God hears you, you have it. He's already made up his mind. He's already made up his will of whether he wants you to have it or not. But when you ask him if it's within this range of his will, he hears you. And if he hears you, he's got it. I've shared with these before. We have four grandchildren, two of whom live here near us and go to the school here. And, and, and we're grandparents. We're typical grandparents. And so if we go to the store, my wife has an attitude, especially with her granddaughter, if you ask anything that's in accordance with my wallet, <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> and if I hear you, you have the request you've made known to us. In fact, there have been times she's had to talk our grandchildren into receiving something we know they want. Because, well, we don't want to bother you. We don't want you to know. But we want to give it to you. I never thought of it this way before. But remember there's been times in a store where you can tell they looked at something and said, I want to buy them. Oh, no, 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 no. And this is what they're like. They're wonderful grandkids. No, 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 no. But we want to do it. And I have a feeling that's what God's like with us sometimes. Well, no, 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 I don't need that. No, 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 I don't want to bother you, God. And God's saying, I'm your father. I love to bless you. I love to take care of you. I love to do, to work in your life. I wanted you to know how involved in your life I want to be. Come ask. I want to do this. Just ask me. Say yes. I want to do it. 
this is what Jesus is, or John, the Apostle John, is telling us about what he knew about his heavenly Father. If he hears you, in his mind, he's already decided that you can have what you want. That you can have what you want. That you can have. The decision is already made. Let's go to uh, Romans chapter 8 and we'll end there. And next time we'll pick up with one more principle along this line. I want to encourage you and challenge you to test him out. God can handle that. In fact, he loves that. Romans chapter 8. This is one of my favorite verses. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also freely give us all things? If he spared not his own son, if he was willing, it says in Romans 5, while we were still his enemy, if we were, we were still rebellious, while we were still sinners, if he was willing to take the most precious thing he had, his son, and offer his son's life up for you and for me, if he was willing to go that far, Paul is saying, how will he not also, together with him, freely give us everything else he has? I look at it this way. God's attitude towards us is this. What do you need? I've emptied my pockets out for you. Why would you think I would hold anything back from you if I didn't hold my own son back? If I gave the most valuable thing I had, the most precious thing I had, if I didn't hold him back for you while you didn't believe in him, and I still gave him up for you, why that you're now my child would you think I would hold anything else back from you? And we know that if he hears us, he's talking about God's character. I encourage you to take these verses. We'll post them on the website tomorrow. We'll post these notes. Take these verses and just go meditate on them. Just talk them over to you. And as you do, it's saying, what does this tell me about what God's like? What does this tell me about what my Heavenly Father's like? That if He hears me, I already have the request. He's already decided. He's not waiting for some condition. He's not holding it back. He wants to answer my prayers. He's told me to come and ask. And if I ask, he's not going to play games and give me something else and say that was the answer. Because that's not an answer. He's going to deal straight with me. He's going to... And, 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 and he's listening to me. He's watching over me. Why would he not also, together with him, freely give me, look at this, all things... There's an expression that he was willing to bankrupt heaven for you. That's what this verse is about. He gave his own son's life. Not while you were his child, not while you were in church worshiping him, before you were ever born, knowing everything you were ever going to do wrong, every 
words you would say that would, do, that would be against him, every rebellious thing you ever, would ever do, knowing all of those things, knowing what you would be like, he still chose to give his own son's life in your place. Why would we think that having done that, he would hold something else back from us when he didn't hold his own son? I challenge you in this next week to take that verse in 1 John 14 and 15 and just meditate on them. Just put them on your refrigerator. Carry it around on a card. I taught you during Renewing the Mind. Take a card around, an index card, and just carry it around with you and just read it over to yourself until you, it, be, it begins to sink down in you the reality of what your Heavenly Father is really like.